we begin, let me just say, if you have been challenged or um, if there are any questions raised from the baptisms this morning, I encourage you to speak to either myself or Pastor Duncan or Pastor Isaac. If something, if baptism is something that you're um, thinking about, uh, you're more than welcome to come and see us. Let's pray. Lord God, again we thank you for, for what you are doing in and through people, as we have heard already this morning, that you are also changing us, challenging us and, and equipping us to be your people. And as we examine this passage this morning, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through it. Use the words that I say to, to, to encourage people, to challenge people. And Lord, I, I pray that, that this would um, just ultimately glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me introduce you to... My clicker's got no battery in it. <laughs> Let me introduce you to the clicker with a flat battery. Rob, are you happy to do the slides for me? Uh, let me introduce you to Katerina Amalia. Here we go. No, it's working. Katerina Amalia Beatrix Carmen Victoria. Princess of Orange. Princess of the Netherlands. She's the first child of Prince William, or then Prince William Alexander, and Princess Maxima, and she's the heir apparent to the throne of the Netherlands. William Alexander, the, the guy in the centre of the picture, William Alexander Klaus George Ferdinand. How, imagine having that many names. He is the king of the Netherlands, and he ascended the throne following his mother's abdication in 2013. King William Alexander, I won't say all of the names all the time, I'm sure he's a wealthy man. I'm sure he's a very uh, important man. I'm sure he's a very busy man. And yet when his daughter knocks on his door in the middle of the night because she's had a bad dream, I'm sure he has all the time for her in the world. And when she... When he comes home from a, a dignitary trip, I'm sure she runs into his arms, or she used to. She's about 14. She probably doesn't do that. <laughs> but she would say, Daddy, and run into his arms. And he would love that. You see, as the princess, as his daughter, she has access to her father, the king, unlike many other people in the nation of, of the Netherlands, because she is a daughter of the king. And our passage this morning focuses in on, on our position in light of what Jesus has done for us, that we are now sons and daughters of God, that we are not just sons and daughters of God by direct descent, but adopted sons and daughters of God. And I want to focus in on the privilege that we have as sons and daughters of God, as heirs with Christ. 
And I want to look at the, the responsibility that we have and also the inheritance that is to come. And you might feel as though we race through this, but we're keeping it short due to time. Verses 14 to 16 outlines our privilege. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you notice the present tense aspect to these verses? That, that right now we are children of God. That we are adopted sons of God. And ladies, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, I don't have to listen this morning. It's just talking about sons and brothers. It's just addressing the men in the room. But you are included. Don't be dismayed. The, the ESV, the, the version of the Bible that we use here in this church, uses these words to stay as close as possible to the original language. And I want to read to you a little bit that explains far better than I can put it into words why they use these words. Uh, from the preface in, in page 8 in Roman numerals on the, on the ESV, under the heading translation style, it says these words. Similarly, the, the English word brothers is retained as an impor- important familial form of address. Familial meaning family, between fellow Jews and fellow Christians in the first century. And a recurring note is included to indicate that the term brothers was often used in Greek to refer to both men and women and to indicate the specific instances in the text where this is the case. There is a footnote there. In addition, the the English word sons is retained in specific instances because the underlying Greek term usually includes a male-meaning component. And it was used as a legal term in the adoption and inheritance laws of first century Rome. As used by the Apostle Paul, this term refers to the status of all Christians, both men and women, who have, having been adopted into God's family, now enjoy all the privileges, obligations and inheritance rights as God's children. So men and women are are both addressed in this passage here this morning. And I don't know whether we realise it sometimes, but all of us here in this room are brothers and sisters. We are family. That is first one of the privileges that we have as adopted sons and daughters of God. That it's not just a relationship between us and God, it's a relationship between us and the other people of God. Sometimes it's something that we forget. The next privilege that we have is that we have been adopted into God's family as sons and daughters of God. And I don't think we can comprehend the significance of this doctrine unless us ourselves have been adopted. But imagine having no family around. No one to show you love. No one to love in return. 
no one to help you when you're in need. But now consider the contrast of being adopted into a family where you are shown love, where you don't have to fear cold or hunger, where you're welcomed in as one of the family and, and shown an inheritance. What we have here is, is far more than that, far more than, than what we see in Hollywood. What we have here is that we were slaves, having no inheritance of our own, but being drowning in debt, in the debt of our sin, sold under sin and death, as, as Paul has, has iterated in, in chapter 7 and the early parts of chapter 8. But now through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ we have we've had our sin, our debt of sin removed and we have been elevated to the position of children of God, heirs with Christ, adopted into God's family, grafted in, where God could say before that we were, were not a people, not his people, and that we had not received mercy. He can now say they are my people. And they have received mercy. And as Paul says in verse 15, that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. And verse 16, that we are children of God. He says this matter-of-factly. Secondly, this this passage implies that we can approach God in a new way as his children as his beloved adopted children. Verse 15 says that we, by whom we can cry, Abba, Father. This Hebrew term, Abba, is, is our similar term that we have of Daddy. Fathers, can you remember the first time when your son or daughter called you Daddy? They might have been eight months old, nine months old. The feeling of that. Jody and I were sitting out the back of our house um, one day during the week and, and the father of one of our neighbours came home and the roller door came up and they've got small children, I'm not sure of the age, um, but the cries of Daddy, Daddy's home, was just amazing. It was really nice to hear. And I don't want to downplay the, the reverence and respect that we should have as, as men and women before God, as sinners saved by grace. But the fact that we can come before God without the need for a priest or a mediator, that we can come before God and call him our heavenly father, it speaks volumes of the change of relationship that has happened when Jesus died on the cross when we professed our faith in him, the change of relationship that has been done on our behalf. We have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters of God. We can now approach God with confidence, with assurance, and we have been given, been given access to God by the sacrifice of Jesus. We can approach him in a new way, 
And in the same way as Princess Katerina Amalia can, can approach her father, the king, we have the same privilege to be able to do that. This means this morning that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you have acknowledged your need for Jesus to be your saviour, that you have come to God in repentance and have been given the Holy Spirit, you've been made a son and daughter of God. And if you are a child of God, then an heir with Christ, an heir of the inheritance that is to come. You see, it's not until we know whose we are that we can fully live by God, fully live for God by the Spirit. When we understand that we have been taken from being an orphan child, a slave to to sin, and being made new with Christ, adopted child of God, that we can fathom the depth of the love that has been shown to us in Jesus Christ. It's not until then that we know whose we are that we can live for God. And as we'll see in a couple of weeks' time, God does everything in order to protect his children. Romans 8.31, Robbie's already mentioned it this morning. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give give us all things? God protects his children. God looks after his children and he loves his children. What a great privilege we have. Are you awake? We've been adopted as God's children. We have access to God as his children. But with great privilege comes great responsibility. Verses 12 to 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's also a present tense here to these words as well, but it's a continual present tense. It's something that continues on into the future that we have a responsibility to put to death the deeds of the body. And this ability does not come from us. It comes from the Spirit of God. Look at that phrase there in the middle of verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do we put to death the deeds of the body? How do we live by the Spirit? Well, it's, it sounds cliche, but daily relying on God and his spirit within us is how we live by the spirit. To, to begin your day with your gaze firmly planted in Jesus' direction. To begin your day in prayer and, and reading and devotion. To listen to God in what he says through his word to approach him in prayer, to, to enjoy him throughout your day, not just on a Sunday morning. 
to pray and, and, and ask God that he would lead you not into temptation, that he would continue to provide for your needs. It's something that we need to do very regularly in, in living by the Spirit. Not out of our own ability, but to, to live by the Spirit, to follow God's prompting. Because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour his prey. You see, when you experience temptation, one of the best ways to, to get rid of it is to say, I am a child of God. I am an adopted child of God and I will not fear or be tempted because I am a child of God. Another good thing, and, and Jesus gives us this example, to resist temptation is to be able to quote scripture. And if you don't memorise it, you, don't, you can't quote it. We also have a responsibility to represent God here on this earth as his heirs. In the same way as Princess Amalia, Katerina Amalia, has the responsibility to represent her father at, at royal functions and, and throughout national uh, holidays and that sort of thing. We have a responsibility to represent God to this lost and broken world. We all have a testimony, as we've seen times four this morning. And our greatest testimony is the representation of God's transforming work in and through our lives. Our testimony of his grace and love and faithfulness to us. But it won't be easy. Verse 17 says that we also have to suffer with Christ if we are to partake in his inheritance. Just as Jesus said it had to suffer so that he could be glorified, so must we. That doesn't mean that we can't have nice things. But it leaves us with the question of what are we willing to give up for the sake of our faith? What are we willing to give up for the sake of moving forward in our faith? Are we willing to give up the, jo uh, the job of our dreams for the sake of our faith? Are we willing to give up our nice car, our nice home for the sake of our faith or for the sake of other believers around the world? Are we willing to give up our lives knowing that Jesus had to give up his in order to bring us into adoption? You might be sitting there thinking, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. You just said that, that God will give me all things graciously because he's given me Jesus. I signed up for a life of, of ease. Come on, people. God who was willing to give up his own son for the sake of this world to be tormented and crucified and in anguish and agony. He's the one that's supposed to give you an easy life. 
He was supposed to make your life cushy. It's certainly not how it is. So we have a responsibility to deny the deeds of the body, to represent God here on this earth and to expect suffering. Not to go looking for it, to be, but to expect suffering. But I want to call this a good news sandwich. There is good news at the start and good news at the end. Verse 17. If we are children, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. This verse has a future tense, but also a present tense. Here is the now and but not yet aspect to our faith. That we as Christians can enjoy access to God. We can enjoy his presence. That we have a responsibility to deny our flesh and serve God, but, and to re, re, excuse me, represent him here on this earth we also have the privilege to be able to enjoy God both now and into eternity. James 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life, the crown of eternal life, that we may be glorified with Christ. What a day that will be. What a day that will be when we are fully freed from this body of death. When we see God in all of his glory, plastered in every direction around us, where we know that we are children of God because we have received this assurance of salvation that God has given us. In conclusion, we know that we are children of God through the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, we have been adopted as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, by which we now have access to God and can call him Father. But with this comes a responsibility to, to put to death the deeds of the flesh and live by the Spirit. And to expect suffering, but to stand firm in the face of it. Because we know that God is for us. We know that God has an eternal inheritance for us that is far beyond our comprehension. And we also know that we will be glorified with Christ into eternity, forever and ever and ever. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you for this passage and for your amazing grace in in adopting us as your children, for enabling us to know that, that those who place their faith in Jesus Christ are children of God.
that those who have been given the Spirit are children of God. And Lord, now it is by your Spirit that we ask as we go out into this week that you would enable us to put to death the deeds of this body. That we would look forward to one day seeing you face to face. But not, Lord, that that wouldn't be our, our only approach to you. That we would know that we can enjoy you now. That we can be glorified in you now and into the future forever and ever. We look forward to that day and we, we pray that you would continue your work in us and through us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.